For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Is it true that he's kind of a private and quiet, like introverted person when he's by himself? Are you asking me or him? <laughs> asking him. If you want to weigh in, too, that's fine. <laughs> he definitely is. That's Trina Edwards. We were talking about her husband, Edwin Edwards, the former governor of Louisiana. Trina is almost 42, and Edwin will be 93 in August. She was passing along my questions because he has a hard time hearing over the phone. Is it true that you're a quiet, kind of introverted person when you're not in public, when you're home by yourself? Well, I'm a very different person when I'm not on the stage. It's the way I am. I, I'm very quiet and, and uh, private, and I don't drink at all. I don't use drugs at all. And so now the most fun I have in life is taking care of my seven-year-old child and my wife. <laughs> okay. Trina is Edwin's third wife. They've been married since 2011. The two of them met when she started writing him letters in federal prison. Edward served eight years on corruption charges. He was convicted of rigging casino licenses during his final term as governor. When he got out, he and Trina brought their relationship to reality TV. The fair maiden in this story is me. I'm the governor's wife. Their show went off the air after eight episodes. Since then, Edwards has run for Congress and lost, and he's had a couple of health scares. But he still has a remarkable command of Louisiana political history, much of which he shaped during his four terms as governor. To understand David Duke, you need to understand what makes Louisiana politics distinctive. The unique alliances, the entrenched corruption— and the charismatic figures who've molded the state in their own images. And Edwin Edwards is Louisiana politics personified. 
Edwards's first gubernatorial campaign began in 1971. First of all, I spoke French. And in, in 1971, there were still people, older people in Louisiana who understood English, but they preferred to hear and speak in French. So I made some French ads, and it helped me with that particular group of people. I mean, he had a coalition, a distinctly Louisiana coalition. He had Cajuns and Blacks. That's Mark Morial. He worked with Edwards as a state legislator and as the mayor of New Orleans. In Louisiana, if you can put those two voting bases together, in those days it was an unbeatable coalition. Unlike most of his white Democratic peers, Edwards was an unabashed civil rights champion. He invited Black Louisianans to work in government positions and helped craft a state constitution that outlawed discrimination. He also made Louisiana richer. As governor, Edwards helped change how crude oil got taxed, moving from a flat fee per barrel to a percentage of the barrel price. When oil prices shot up, state revenues soared. So did Edwin Edwards' popularity. Stories about Edwards' gambling and womanizing didn't hurt him with voters. The miasma of corruption and scandal that hung over his administration didn't damage him either. There were six grand jury investigations during Edwards' first term, but he wasn't indicted in any of those cases. It seemed like the silver-haired, silver-tongued governor could talk his way out of anything. When asked about some iffy political donations, Edwards said, it was illegal for them to give, but not for me to receive. Edwards led Louisiana for eight years, leaving office in March 1980. The only thing stopping him from being governor for life were term limits that Edwards himself had pushed for. So he went on a brief hiatus, sitting out the next election cycle, then returning in 1983 to reclaim his throne. In the last days of that campaign, Edwards fired off his most famous one-liner. The only way I could lose this election is if I got caught in bed with a dead girl or a live boy. And that took on a life of its own and has been quoted many times since by other people. Is that good enough or...? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Trina. Does he regret saying that or is he happy that he said it? <laughs> I guarantee he doesn't regret anything he's ever done. Hold on. Do you regret saying that or are you happy you said that? No, I'm, I, it's one of the things that I said that uh, people identified with me and they thought it was kind of funny. Edwards was right to believe that 1983 election was a lock. He'd win it with 62% of the vote. To celebrate his victory, he did something audacious, even by Edwin Edwards' standards. If there's one thing Louisiana governor-elect Edwin Edwards knows, it's how to have a good time, even with a $4 million campaign deficit staring him down. Edwards chartered two jumbo jets, announced he was going to Paris, and invited anyone willing to contribute $10,000 to come on along. More than 600 people joined Edwards on that trip to France, which was touted as the largest single political fundraiser ever thrown by an American politician. The writer Roy Blunt Jr., on assignment for People magazine, went along for the ride. You know, the whole deal did not smell of righteousness, that's for sure. But uh, as uh, some people said, it's hard to be proper and have a real good time. The French-speaking Edwards and his crew of Louisianans ate high-class cuisine at the Palace of Versailles. The governor also received a warm greeting from a nun outside Notre Dame Cathedral. 
And uh, she gave him what she described as a French kiss, which was actually, of course, more like a nun's kiss. But she could take a joke. And so he said, uh, okay, sister, but just don't let me get into the habit. And all of his supporters gathered around, cheered and beamed. And uh, that's the kind of thing they had come to Paris for. The party ended for Edwin Edwards as soon as those jumbo jets landed back in Louisiana. The campaign of 83 was great. It was one of the funnest experiences of my life. The service in the governor's office from 84 to 87, it was not. It was, it was a, a very difficult experience. That's Sid Moreland. He was Edwin Edwards' assistant. By the mid-1980s, oil and gas revenues had plummeted, and the state was facing a huge deficit. Edwards tried to fill that hole with tax increases. His constituents didn't find that rakish or charming. You know, when you're trying to raise taxes on people who are really struggling already, it's a very precarious political situation to be in. So this tax package was probably the beginning of his unpopularity. In February 1985, Edwin Edwards' run of bad luck got a whole lot worse. The 50-count federal indictment charges Governor Edwards and six others, including his brother and a nephew, with racketeering and fraud in a multi-million dollar scheme involving the effective sale of state approval for medical facility construction projects. Edwards was accused, basically, of accepting bribes to steer state money to his friends. The trial dragged on, somehow, for 14 weeks. Moreland spent most of it on a payphone outside the New Orleans courtroom. I was constantly calling the governor's office in Baton Rouge and getting the phone messages and returning those phone calls and explaining to people under the circumstances, you know, the governor can't talk to you right this minute. And uh, we tried to be as diplomatic about it as we could. And of course, most people knew where he was and what he was going through, but they called anyway. (laughs) The case ended in a mistrial. Edwards was later retried and found not guilty. When that verdict came in, the prosecutor said, If we didn't make him honest, I hope we made him sorry. When I asked Edwards about the case, he didn't sound all that sorry. That was an example of a, of a, of a stupid prosecutor who didn't know anything about what was happening. Did it bother him when people said he was profiting from his role as the governor? Did it bother you when people said you were profiting from your role as governor? No, because there's no truth to it, so it didn't bother me at all. I I just laughed about it. Edwards may have been laughing, but he was still in a precarious spot. In good times, most people in Louisiana loved his misadventures. But these weren't good times. The boom years of the 1970s were long gone. In 1987, Louisiana was ready for a change. I notice my opponents don't make many people angry. That doesn't surprise you, does it? Politics as usual. I don't like Louisiana politics. I love Louisiana. I love Louisiana enough to make some people angry. Buddy Romer was a congressman from North Louisiana. In the last four weeks of the 1987 governor's race, he zoomed from fifth to first in the polls 
buoyed by folksy TV ads and a string of newspaper endorsements. Romer led Edwards by five percentage points after the first round of voting, setting the stage for a runoff. But when Edwards emerged after 1 a.m. to greet his supporters, he made a move that nobody had anticipated. And I have determined that under the circumstances, since I did not run first, that it would be inappropriate for me to continue this election. Supporters were stunned. Some of his family cried. He's 60. He's been governor 12 years. He said that's long enough. Most voters thought so too. There would be no runoff. Romer would be the next governor of Louisiana. And Edwin Edwards? It looked to outside observers like his career was finished. But that's not how Edwards saw it. Dropping out of the race, that was the first step in his comeback plan. I spoke with him that night, and he he was absolutely resolute that, oh, look, you know, I'm going to let him have it. I'm going to turn it over to him. He's been going all over this state saying he's going to fix this, he's going to fix that, and he's going to disintegrate. You mark my word. Edwards had it all mapped out. He would let Romer run the state for a few difficult years, then reemerge to save the day. It wouldn't be that simple. The 1991 election would be about a lot more than who got to sleep in the governor's mansion. It'd be a fight over what Louisiana was and what it should be. And Edwin Edwards and Buddy Romer wouldn't be the only ones in that battle. In 1991, David Duke was at the height of his powers. He'd honed his message, built a rabid fan base, and come shockingly close to getting elected to the U.S. Senate. The governor's race would be the culmination of his life's work. This was Duke's chance to turn his words into actions, to take control of an entire state, and make it into whatever he wanted. This is Slow Burn. I'm Josh Levine. Episode 5, The Road to Hell. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this season of Slow Burn. The last two episodes are available only to Slate Plus members. You can sign up by going to slate.com slash slowburn, or by clicking on the link in the show notes. It's only $15 for your first three months. With your subscription, you also get access to bonus Slow Burn episodes with extra interviews and behind-the-scenes stories. And your membership lets you listen to every Slate show ad-free and gives you unlimited access to Slate's website. So to hear the rest of the season and become a member, go to slate.com slowburn or click the link in the episode notes. Thanks for supporting our work. <laughs> 